I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Robert Mollering, Professor of Medical Research at Harvard Medical School and a research investigator at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. We're here to discuss antibiotic resistance and what can be done to combat it. Dr. Mollering, as you pointed out in a perspective article in 2010, antibiotic resistance is not a new problem. And in a current perspective article, Spellberg and colleagues take us back billions of years to prokaryotes that first invented antibiotics. Can you tell us a little bit about the evolution and how we came to understand it? Well, I think uh, what's happened is that uh, as we've learned more and more about antibiotic resistance, many of the old concepts uh, which uh, we held for for so many years are now proven to be outmoded. For instance, uh, Many physicians and scientists, for that matter, felt that we select resistant organisms or or we create resistant organisms uh, which mutate uh, in the presence of uh, antibiotic use. Now, some resistance is due to mutation, but most of the resistance that we have is due to the acquisition of various plasmid or other mediated uh, mechanisms of resistance that involve much more than simple mutation. And if you think about it, 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 it's really not surprising that this should be the case. Uh, After all, what are antibiotics? By definition, an antibiotic is an antimicrobial substance made by one microorganism that inhibits the growth of one or, or more other microorganisms. So these are naturally occurring products, and virtually all, not all, but virtually all of the antibacterial agents which we currently have in our armamentarium uh, are natural products. They're, they're from fermentation of, of bacteria uh, and, uh, and related species, such as actinomycetes, uh, which are found in nature. Uh, we've been using antibiotics for about 70 or 75 years. And during that time, the, the bacteria have had plenty of time uh, to uncover uh, their uh, resistance mechanisms. Now, why should these resistance mechanisms be present in nature? Uh, and, and that's uh, uh, what the uh, article quoted in the uh, New England Journal piece uh, showed. Uh, they found uh, organisms that had antibiotic resistance uh, uh, in a cave uh, out in the, the southwestern part of the United States uh, that probably uh, had been isolated for at least four million years. Uh, and so the, these uh, bugs certainly hadn't seen uh, modern antibiotics, and yet they had mechanisms of resistance to the antibiotics we have. Well, there, there are several reasons why they're going to be present in nature. First of all, the, the antibiotic producers don't want to commit suicide, uh, and so they have to have a mechanism to inactivate the antibiotics that they're uh, producing and, in order to uh, survive. Uh, and most of the mechanisms of resistance that, that we now know of uh, uh, in clinical isolates of bacteria are, are found uh, in the antibiotic uh, producers. Moreover, uh, the Resistance occurs in nature, in, a, in, in addition, uh, as organisms in the various ecological niches uh, strive to survive in the presence of their toxic neighbors. And in order to do so, they uh, often pick up these genes uh, from bacteria that have the resistance genes and so forth. So we've known about this for a long time. In fact, my colleagues and I, back in the 1970s, uh, went to the Solomon Islands to an area where uh, there had never been use of clinical use of antibiotics uh, in the highlands of Malaita. 
uh, and from the natives there who were, uh, we called them headhunters in those days, but they practiced cannibalism. Uh, from those uh, patients, uh, we isolated uh, bacteria that uh, contained uh, uh, transferable resistance mechanisms to antibiotics. So it, 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 it's not terribly surprising. You wrote about NDM1, uh, New Delhi Metallo-Beta-Lactamase 1, a transmissible genetic element that encodes multiple resistance genes. It was initially isolated from a strain of Klebsiella. And more recently, in a prospective article, Sandora and Goldman pointed to multidrug-resistant gram-negative rods as particularly menacing. What do you see now as the biggest current threat in terms of antibiotic resistance? Well, the multi-resistant uh, gram-negative bacteria are certainly a major threat because it's more difficult to find uh, antimicrobial agents that are effective against uh, these organisms. And uh, as it turns out, uh, NDM1, uh, which stands for New Delhi uh, Metallo-Beta-Lactamase 1, uh, is an enzyme that uh, destroys virtually all the beta-lactams uh, except astreonam. So it turns out it's also on a plasmid, a transmissible genetic element that contains multiple other resistance genes. And so the organisms that pick up these genes, as was the case with the Klebsiella in New Delhi, uh, are, to begin with, resistant to virtually everything we have except uh, colistin and, and sometimes uh, tigacycline. But they've even become resistant. Uh, uh, organisms containing these genes have even become resistant to that. So that's just one of a, a series of uh, resistant gram-negative organisms. turns out that although I said in that perspective piece a couple of years ago in the New England Journal uh, that the resistance mechanism came from Klebsiella, there's now good evidence uh, that suggested it probably started in Acinetobacter uh, and somehow got transferred into Klebsiella. Now these organisms are starting to spread around the world, and uh, we're, we're seeing more and more problems with uh, highly resistant uh, strains of Klebsiella pneumoniae, uh, many of which uh, contain uh, enzymes that uh, destroy virtually all of the beta-lactamases. But we're also seeing more and more problems with resistance in E. coli, uh, the organisms that cause uh, uncomplicated uh, urinary tract infections and, and cystitis, uh, especially in young women. Uh, and we are now getting to the point uh, where because of this resistance, uh, uh, which is being seen in these organisms, uh, the oral agents, which we used to use very effectively, don't work anymore. So uh, I think the gram-negative organisms, and you always hear about acinetobacter, you hear about uh, pseudomonas, and yes, these are problems. They're, they're always listed uh, because uh, uh, they, are, they have more complicated uh, resistance mechanisms. They have more efflux pumps. Uh, they have an extra layer of uh, outer cell envelope uh, that the antibiotics have to get through. Uh, and uh, it, it is just not nearly as easy to, to find antibiotics uh, uh, that work against them as it is to find antimicrobials that work against gram-positive bacteria. Spellberg and colleagues describe five strategies for combating resistance preventing infections, encouraging new economic models to promote research and development, slowing the spread of resistance, discovering new ways to attack microbes without driving resistance, and altering host-microbe interactions rather than attacking the microbes directly. In the realm of prevention, Sandor and Goldman wrote that we already have the tools to control the spread of infections, but we haven't been very good at using them. Do you agree or do you think, as Spellberg would say, 
we need to think outside the box and find new methods. Well, I agree completely. Uh, we do have a lot of effective uh, mechanisms right now, and it has proven uh, amazingly difficult uh, to implement them. Uh, just a simple mechanism of hand washing uh, and getting physicians to uh, and and other healthcare professionals to wash their hands between patients uh, to use uh, skin decontamination uh, uh, in, in that process has been very very difficult uh, to, to achieve. Uh, in those hospitals where uh, there has been more success with that, uh, they've had fewer uh, nosocomial infections. Uh, uh, but there's probably a, a limit uh, based on the, the fact that humans uh, can only be led so far uh, to do things, and, and also a limit uh, uh, because of the fact that isolating patients, putting them on precautions, making uh, healthcare workers uh, wash their hands before and after they see them, limits the number of uh, often limits the number of times they're seen by their healthcare providers, and and that's uh, seen as uh, something of a disadvantage too. So we certainly need to work that out. We probably could use more effective ways of decontaminating rooms and inanimate objects uh, that uh, are, are used by patients uh, who have uh, multi-resistant uh, bacterial infections. Uh, certainly the methods that we have right now uh, are, are far from perfect uh, in that regard. But I, I completely agree uh, that we have a lot of the mechanisms right now. We're not very effectively using them. Now, if uh, if we could think of uh, other more uh, dramatic uh, uh, and unique ways to do this, I'd be the the, the first to uh, uh, to applaud it and and, and try to uh, uh, implement it. But but it's it, it's very hard to come up with things that we have not already looked at in the infection control uh, arena. Of course, the most effective thing that we can do uh, is to prevent the, the selective pressure uh, caused by multiple. Uh, antibiotic use, uh, especially multiple inappropriate antibiotic uh, use. And too many of our patients, uh, uh, especially in the intensive care units, uh, receive multiple antibiotics. Uh, first of all, we don't know uh, what happens when you give uh, two or three or four antibiotics at the same time. Uh, for all I know, uh, there may be antagonism, and some of the antimicrobial agents may be less effective uh, in that setting when the agents are used in combination. We have a very short window here during which uh, we've been able to use antibiotics effectively. That window so far is just over 70 years old since the discovery and first use of uh, penicillin. Uh, and uh, in that short period of time, uh, bacteria have found lots of ways to become resistant. When you realize that bacteria have been here for 2 billion years, uh, that uh, the numbers of bacteria in nature are just uh, astronomical, uh, it's not surprising that we're going to see this. Uh, and, and moreover, it would be impossible not uh, to see it uh, in that sort of a setting. So we can do some things uh, by a more appropriate uh, antibiotic stewardship, uh, appropriate use of antibiotics, and we have to do that. We, we must do that in order to save what we have. The Infectious Diseases Society has proposed a new regulatory approach whereby drugs would be approved on the basis of small clinical superiority trials focused on infections caused by highly resistant pathogens. And then those drugs would be given very narrow labels to limit them to special populations. What do you think of that potential avenue? Well, I think anything that would encourage uh, the 
discovery and application of new agents uh, against uh, multi-resistant gram-negative organisms in particular uh, is something that we should encourage. The problem with these infections is that the ones that we have are very, very serious and often life-threatening, but they're not that common. Uh, And so one needs to cut down the number of patients that are required to get approval of a drug like that, and that's what this initiative would do. I personally think it's a very good thing, and I completely applaud it. Shifting focus a bit, how big a problem do you see antibiotic use in livestock and other environmental exposure being? Well, (laughs) that's like the uh, gun discussion that's currently uh, going on in Washington. Uh, It it is very complicated, (laughs) and uh, The problem here is uh, everybody uh, who looks at it from sort of the medical point of view says, you know, we shouldn't be giving uh, antibiotics to animals. Particularly, we shouldn't be using them as growth enhancers. They really, there isn't very much evidence that they do enhance growth that much. Uh, And uh, there certainly is plenty of uh, evidence that, that they select out resistant organisms. Uh, the farm lobby and the aquaculture and, uh, and other lobby comes back and says, yeah, but show us where the organisms have caused uh, a problem. A, a good example of that uh, is with vancomycin-resistant enterococci. Uh, in Europe, uh, the Europeans for years used a, a drug called avoparsin as a growth uh, promotant uh, in chickens, pigs, and, and other farm animals. Uh, avoparsin is the first cousin of vancomycin. Uh, and as a result, uh, the gut flora of these animals contain large numbers uh, of vancomycin-resistant enterococci, and yet Europe didn't have a problem with VRE infections. Uh, whereas in the United States, uh, we, we did have big problems. Well, it turns out there's a very simple explanation for it, and it shows the complexity of what we're dealing with here. The organisms that were selected out and became resistant to vancomycin and the gut of the animals in Europe uh, were incapable of colonizing and infecting humans. So they had different uh, genes uh, that uh, did not allow them to bind to uh, epithelial cells of humans and and to invade and, and, and cause significant disease. In the United States, we developed the VRE because we were using a lot of oral vancomycin, uh, and we were using it for uh, C. difficile infections, as you well know. And uh, what happened here is that when the bugs became resistant, they were already those that colonized the human gut uh, and were the ones that were capable of causing infections in humans. Of course, what's happened now is that these organisms have been spread to Europe, and Europe now has a problem with them as well. Uh, But these are organisms that came from the United States and and were not selected out by agricultural use of avoparsin. They've banned avoparsin, by the way, in in Europe now, uh, and uh, some, but not all of the resistance uh, has gone away uh, as a result of that. But it's a very complex area. Uh, All things being equal, I absolutely think uh, we should uh, either ban or markedly restrict uh, the agricultural and uh, other use of antibiotics uh, uh, for farm use, agricultural, aquacultural use. In terms of reducing human overuse, one strategy that Spellberg mentions is developing diagnostic and biomarker tests that would give clinicians more information so they could avoid treating people who have non-bacterial infections they could shorten antibiotic courses for other patients. What are the main hurdles to that sort of reduction of overuse? Well, 
the main hurdles are purely technical. <laughs> no one has been able to, to come up with a, a, a test which gives you an answer soon enough uh, to, to be useful up until now. I've probably for 30 or 40 years heard various companies say they've got a rapid diagnostic test and they'll give you the answer as far as uh, bloodstream and other infections are concerned. But most of these uh, rapid tests uh, depend upon having a positive culture first. Uh, and in the case of blood isolates, that takes anywhere from 12 to 18 hours minimal. Uh, and at the end of that time, yes, they can immediately, within an hour or two, tell you what the bug is. But antibiotic therapy has already been initiated in that time frame. And unless you can have a point-of-care test uh, that uh, gives you the answer within uh, a couple of hours, uh, it's going to be very hard to impact uh, uh, antimicrobial use because clinicians aren't going to wait for a, a test that takes a lot longer than that to uh, to do. So the other problem that you run into, of course, is that uh, many of the types of infections you would like, for which you'd like to have these diagnostic uh, methodologies, uh, are infections where uh, the infected material is often contaminated with normal flora. Pneumonia. In pneumonia, you have sputum, uh, but it'll con it may contain the pneumococcus, which is a pathogen. May contain some haemophilus, uh, which may or may not be a, a pathogen, and a, and a lot of normal mouth flora. Uh, and so there has to be some way uh, to differentiate a simple carrier of the pneumococcus uh, from a patient who has pneumococcal pneumonia in that setting. Now, people are working on all of these tests, and my own feeling uh, is that even though uh, there's been a lot of uh, crepe hung uh, about the inability of these tests really to do what they say they can do up until now. I think within the next five to ten years, there will be uh, better uh, rapid diagnostic tests. And once we start having these, I think uh, uh, clinicians will be able to use them and, and will be able to uh, tailor their antibiotic therapy to the cause of the infection and not have to just use broad-spectrum uh, coverage uh, so that they don't miss something. The anti-resistance strategy that sounds the most futuristic is developing therapies that affect the host response to the infection rather than the microbes themselves. Can you tell us a bit about work in that area? Well, I mean, again, uh, that's an area that a lot of people have worked on. Now, some of the, the host response stuff uh, is easier to think about than others. For instance, we know uh, that a lot of the damage uh, that's caused uh, by bacteremias uh, uh, is due to the stimulation uh, of a whole series of cytokines like IL-1, uh, like tumor necrosis factor, uh, and so forth. And one idea, of course, is that uh, if you can blunt uh, the effects of these cytokines, either by getting rid of the uh, lipopolysaccharide, the endotoxin that causes their release, uh, or by using specific uh, inhibitors of these uh, uh, cytokines that, that, that you could markedly diminish the uh, seriousness of the infection. The problem is that all, a number of these things have already been subjected to clinical trials and they haven't worked. Uh, the, the systems we're dealing with are so complex uh, that, uh, uh, and, and so redundant that you're going to have to block multiple uh, areas. And when you start doing that, then what you find out is that these cytokines are double-edged swords. 
on the one hand, uh, they cause the inflammation uh, that can make patients very sick and kill them very quickly with septic shock, for instance. But on the other hand, they also are important for uh, poly and, and especially macrophage function uh, and so forth in controlling the bacteria. And if you get rid of them, you lose that aspect of, of it as well. So it, it is very complex. A lot of people are thinking about this, uh, but I think we're a long way away from having anything that, that tr is, is truly effective here. Thank you, Dr. Mullering.